0: This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Jordy spots a bogey, but can he tell why kids are able to spot when one has an evil android?
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that was created first, but deemed to be less perfect. My name is Geff, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And we've gotten to. I don't even know what to call it. It's like it's, it's a semi iconic episode, but mostly because it introduces an iconic character. The episode itself is fairly fine.
0: Uh, it's kind of there, it's serviceable.
1: Also, like, one of the most iconic Star Trek characters that appears like three times. Mm
0: hmm. <laughs> But I guess uh, the appearances were memorable enough, uh, kind of, for, uh, I guess, the particular twist we're using here.
1: Though so we are finally at Datalore, which is a very weird name. I don't love it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I guess, uh, you know, it does help us come up with that one meme, you know, trust data, not lore.
1: <laughs> I think this might be where the other meme comes from. Hmm. We'll get to it several there's several memes <laughs> this is a very memeable episode apparently
0: true, quite true uh in fact uh one of the uh, the prizes uh in the the game show segment um is kind of named after one of the moments in this episode, mm-hmm. so
1: you know so this is the episode that finally introduces us to data's brother hmm lore and the sort of extended data universe it's
0: it's not Hulk holgan mm <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be an interesting guest star. How did he not guest star in any Star Treks?
0: I mean, The Rock did, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I, I guess uh, there wasn't the right kind of crossover uh, uh, opportunities available. Yes, lore! <laughs>
1: <laughs> this episode was aired in 1988, which is difficult for us to remember that back then, special effects were still sort of this new thing for television.
0: Yes. <laughs> it's like... Uh, we're going to have our special effects be uh, a map painting.
1: Yeah, so like it wasn't as bad. There's still there's still some good special effects in Star Trek. Obviously, the model works mm-hmm. amazing. They're still doing it's- good stuff with it. Um but this episode was one of the earlier times that they had a single actor playing two characters which is um you know, difficult to do for TV on a TV yes. budget. <laughs> Especially like in the they, 80s. <laughs> they could do it in movies. They'd done it in movies. But as a TV budget thing, it was like, oh, my God, look at this. He's playing two characters.
0: And uh, there's even moments where it's like, OK, you, you know, for most of the shot, you could do the easy split screen thing. But then you, you realize, oh, he's now walking into where his duplicate was. All right. So so it's not just a, a pure script split screen thing, but there's a seamless sort of transition to expanding that view and you don't notice
1: it so yeah there's complicated yeah. editing yeah <laughs> so there's not a lot of um, behind the scenes stuff on this one except for you know little things like that it was a uh it was um was technically interesting for the time mm-hmm. but aside from that there's very few guest stars because it's a little bottle episode
0: well, you know there, there, there is technically some but you know. yeah
1: some. <laughs> so this episode was co-written by robert lewin and maurice hurley we've talked about maurice hurley before, because they are the head writer and showrunner for this time period in Star Trek, so they pop up a lot. Uh, Robert lewin wrote uh, *Brave and the Bold*, which is a 1956 World War II film, which won an Academy Award for best screenplay. So they're getting some high-tier writers in here.
0: Yeah, yeah this, uh, this person's been writing uh, tons of stuff, all th- you know, from then to basically *Star Trek: Next Generation*. Just uh, believe when their last credits, I think.
1: I think so, yeah. They were also a, a award-winning television writer for um, Jude. They got nominations for something called The Paper Chase and Beretta, a lot of shows that I haven't really heard of or engaged with before. But, yeah,
0: Including the FBI. <laughs>
1: I'm going to have to just watch that at some point, the number of times it's popped up now.
0: I've never seen it myself, but it just one of those things just keeps popping up. <laughs>
1: And then the only guest stars that we have are um, Biff Yeager is back as Engineer Argyle. Mm -hmm. This is his second appearance, making him the longest running chief engineer of the first season.
0: Yes. (laughs) And he's like doing engineering stuff, too. It's great.
1: (laughs) And then, as we already mentioned, Brent Spiner guest stars as Lore.
0: Yes, uh, you might uh, remember uh, Brett uh, Spiner from uh, various things like Star Trek Picard where he, he played uh, Altan Inigo Uh You know, He played uh, the Joker on uh, the uh, Young Justice uh, show. Um, he was also in Independence Day Resurgence where he's Dr. Brackish Akun. Um, he was Puck in The, the Librarians and I think uh, maybe something else as well. Um, he was also Brent Spiner in Family Guy. Um, and, uh, you know, also Star Trek Enterprise, he played this, uh, character called Lieutenant Commander Data, but only like his voice. I, you know, I'm not sure what's up with that character.
1: (laughs) Also one of the other Soongs in Enterprise. (laughs) Yeah, this starts the long running tradition of Brent Spiner just playing data, data related characters, Mm -hmm. people that look like Brent Spiner, Brent Spiner himself, just whatever. (laughs) Yeah, all of this. So,
0: I think uh, uh, probably uh, Adam Soong uh, just, to, like, set up a plan to just clone himself. And th- so, you know, it's like, yes, it's my son. Yeah. He looks exactly like me. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, we we'll just keep doing that. That's just how we have our kids uh, for this family. We just don't tell anyone.
1: <laughs> also, it's not important at all, but, like, it's so sad that he only got to play Joker in Young Justice because that is the worst Joker. <laughs> Young Justice Glass. is the worst TV Joker, not the worst movie Joker, because that was that one was really bad. But yeah. yes,
0: <laughs> uh, I think there was something else that you played, like the maybe the Riddler or something like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. now
1: no, the Harley Quinn per- Joker—that's a good one. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Ever since Mark Hamill retired, the Jokers just haven't been the same. <laughs> <laughs> maybe if we clone Mark Hamill. They're working on it. Have you seen some of these new <laughs> Star Wars shows? My God.
0: <laughs> a digital clone.
1: It's <laughs> yeah. okay. Data lore, where we find Data's weird evil twin something or other. Yeah, There's apparently lot. some weird stuff. Like, they didn't intend this to be a twin. Apparently it was going to be a female android. Hmm. Which I do Big think ball. is interesting. Features a non-lookalike <laughs> female android okay, we weren't there in the 80s. I'm sorry, they were never going to have Brent Spiner playing a female android in the 80s. Yeah, the
0: uh, I, I guess the closest we get was uh, when Data gets him, his brain cloned to the holodeck.
1: Yeah. That's a ways off. And that's even played for laughs, laughs in a way we're going to have to talk about.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hmm.
1: So, yeah. But then they did, it, you know, then they did uh, all of the weird special effects stuff, which is impressive. I remember... The one thing I remember about this episode when I was a kid was my mom going like, "Oh my god, how did they do that? That's so cool!" Yes,
0: because <laughs> you know some of the stuff they show uh, uh, might seem uh, you know kind of quaint or even like eh, today, but back then this is like, "Holy crap, what even am I looking at here?"
1: <laughs> also, the um, crystalline entity which shows up for the first time mm-hmm. in this episode is one of the earliest completely. CGI Yikes. graphical effects on TV,
0: Mm-hmm. and so it was like definitely, definitely there is some wow factor going on here that uh, mm-hmm. you know was uh, you know we've become old and jaded, but uh, you know our, when we were young it was like the the big thing.
1: It's still pretty cool. I wish that they. I still wish for my own sake, not for any TV thing, because I understand the expense and whatever. But I wish that they'd never moved away from models personally. I always prefer a good model, but you
0: no, know, yeah, I the, do, the do, do enjoy a good model, cool. yeah. And the, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, I'd love to see a mix actually, where, you know, there's models for certain sort of things in, you know, that you know, are being presented. But when you get to weird stuff like the Crystalline Ender League, then you can do sort of the CG craziness.
1: Yeah. And that's what most of the modern Star Wars are doing. Mm-hmm. It's like, say what you will about the modern Star Wars is the special effects are good. Yeah. All right, so we should probably get back to Star Trek at some point yes. here. You know? <laughs> so the Enterprise's newest mission has taken it very close to a remote star system, which that's every star system.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess it's remote from like the Federation or their normal mission areas or something like that. Maybe it's far from the neutral zone. There we go.
1: <laughs> and this is the star system where data was originally found. So before going to the next assignment, Picard has decided that they're going to go visit Data's homeworld. Apparently no one's really been back here since the original Federation survey team that found him.
0: So it's like, oh, well, yeah, Do going to be out for a while. We're here. Might as well give it a check out, you know?
1: Data's asked to be alone. Everyone thinks it's to contemplate his return home. But in typical Data fashion, Wesley goes to get him from his room and finds him practicing sneezing. And
0: he's really bad at it.
1: And when questioned, he says he finds sneezing just as fascinating as exploring his home planet.
0: You know, it's a, he's a very different sort of perspective on the world, you know. Some things are super important, and how he ranks them might not be exactly the same way uh, we as human beings would.
1: Well, I do kind of like this. It's, this. it's a sentiment mm-hmm. that I see around. It's like, either everything is important or nothing is important. Yes, <laughs> like if all things, if anything's important, everything's important.
0: To data, there might be a you know some delineation between important and not important, but anything that is important, it's very important.
1: <laughs> so they arrive at the planet; it can, in fact, support life, though there is none, which um, doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, so I guess a uh, you know good O two and uh, N two mix, little bit of carbon dioxide, other trace gases. You know, water, you know, good sunlight, good temperatures. It just, nothing lives there.
1: Now. Uh, I mean, this one makes more sense than some of the other ones, but they keep finding these, like, it's a barren, lifeless planet full of oxygen for some reason.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, the uh, how oxygen became, uh, you know, a dominant factor in Earth's a- uh, atmosphere is a long and complicated history, um, and, you know, we don't have a full time to go into that right now, but uh hint you know early uh earth like you know even like a billion years ago was like you know a quarter uh you know uh of uh, the oxygen we have today, and that was on a good day so <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah you know let's if you want to go back in time uh, make sure to bring uh you know some uh, uh breathing mask apparatus or something like that and spare oxygen because otherwise it'll be like being on a point higher than Mount Everest in terms of atmospheric, you know.
1: Then we hit that fun period of Earth's history where we had, like, five times the oxygen when we have now, (laughs) which created the world's most massive forest fires. It wasn't five times, but, uh, yeah,
0: so, you know, (laughs) quite a bit high, and it was like, yeah, and so uh, everything could just combust quite easily, and so it did. (laughs) Also, rust oceans.
1: Even though there's no life, they're scanning no life on the planet, the original... Uh, reports from this planet reported farmland and data who we now find out has been uploaded with the memories of all of the original colonists from this planet does remember farms but mm-hmm. mostly the colony was there for science
0: science you know, farms there you know in case they wanted to eat something and didn't
1: want to replicate it the science of farms yes <laughs> you
0: know i you know agri-science it's a thing you know in the yeah. modern day yeah you know.
1: that was a major at my college like, yeah. So Riker, Data, Yar, Worf, and Geordie beamed down, finding a completely barren world. Whatever killed everything probably happened just before Data was found, because there's like traces of stuff in the soil, but happened several years ago.
0: Indeed. So now, this is kind of a weird mystery. Maybe they were doing some sort of science experiment that wiped out all life on this planet, and they're like, oh no, uh, let's put the android outside just in case.
1: I think that might have been the original intent of the script. But... Hmm. You
0: know things get complicated
1: so they find a rocky outcropping where data was found laying down on a rock that the previous ship was led to by a signaling device that they think activated right after the attack happened or whatever happened
0: yes (laughs) the mystery happened
1: (laughs) yeah the mysterious thing that totally we don't we no we haven't known how this episode ends for 20 years no you you (laughs) shut up
0: 20, 30.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Jordy with his visor is able to notice that the overhang, even though it looks very natural, is in fact man-made. It's made to look natural. And it conceals a door that goes into the metal hallways of an underground complex.
0: Well, of course it's supposed to look natural. It's it's a set. Come on, uh, Jordy. And you're gonna next. You're gonna tell me that uh, bit of the hallway in the background is just a painting, and uh, that uh, weird gizmo that you say is you know a, you know super duper t- uh, cool technology is just a prop that they keep using over and over again. In fact, shows up the cargo bay in Star Trek V.
1: Yeah, that one that weird <laughs> thingy with the two light beams and yes. that <laughs> it's it's also necessi- somehow necessary for the Pathfinder project and Voyager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that it's the star trek prop like i really yes. i want one i'm gonna make one of these one of these days
0: um it probably like stabilizes the ambient plasma or something like that yeah it's yeah. like the
1: ur star trek prop <laughs> But yeah that's i think that is geordie's actual like like eye power is he can just see the fourth wall <laughs>
0: It's like can't everyone else see it?
1: <laughs> one day in uh one day in, in Picard when he shows up again, the last scene is him just looking over. It's like you y'all haven't been seeing these cameras?
0: <laughs> They've been following us like since before I joined the Enterprise. Uh what's up?
1: <laughs> Alright, so they get to an underground lab complex. There they find a lab that data remembers as belonging to one Dr. Sung. And Jordy goes, oh my god, Noonian Soong, Earth's foremost robotic scientist who disappeared after he failed to create a positronic brain, leaving his entire career in shambles and shame. Oh, wait a minute. Somebody I know has a positronic brain.
0: Huh. What a coincidence.
1: (laughs) They also find children's drawings of people running in fear from a giant snowflake. Like, oh, proud parents.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, just, you know, uh, posting their kids as a... Art of them running in terror is uh, something horrible comes from the sky, and, you know, as you do.
1: So they find molds of Data's face and other things.
0: And we get some uh, little uh, fun with, you know, you, know, you know, he puts it up to his face and it's like, oh, it's an exact match. Well, it should be. It was made off of his face.
1: <laughs> There's also tools related to Data's construction. And finally, in a large storage unit that's filled with the appropriate amount of dramatic fog, they mm-hmm. find more data. Yes, and I don't mean computer data. At least it's an Android that looks exactly like Data.
0: Yeah, and I'd recognize that uh, behind anywhere.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do think it's really, it's an interesting one in, like, of course it is, because they just make, they make the heads and stuff out of, like, frickin' plaster models with bad Mm -hmm. hair. So they show, like, this is Data's head. It's like, that looks horrible. And then they immediately jump cut to, like, an actor in makeup it's like wow when they turn it <laughs> on it gets so much more real
0: Yeah, so it's the, the the magic of animation if it's not animate it looks like crap
1: <laughs> so they decide to bring the other android to the ship where they begin the painstaking process of reassembling them everyone gets a bit uncomfortable because now they have to talk about data like he's a robot even though he is and he's like i don't understand why everyone's being so weird about this
0: <laughs> it's like well we're, we're looking at like the very insides of a being that is exactly like you you're a doctor doctor yeah this, this shouldn't be a, a weird thing for
1: you <laughs> i mean dr crusher's uncomfortable this is like i opened you up and you've got circuits where there should be blood i'm used to blood yes this <laughs> so is just freaking me out man the data confidentially shares with dr crusher that he does in fact have an on-off switch in mm. case they need to use it
0: yeah, and there's also little uh, bumps that are apparently uh, are an alarm clock or something. Yeah, like, he can like count
1: some time, timed to turn back on at a certain time. Yeah, hmm. or something. Oh, that's kind of convenient. You know, let's just yeah. You know,
0: I guess this this is uh, maybe something that'll be an important plot point later, in some some fashion.
1: So they eventually do knock out data temporarily, so that they can compare his construction to the new android's construction and finally finish assembly.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well. uh. I guess this uh, you know, just comparative heart surgery uh, is going to turn out all right. And uh, we can now reproduce uh, androids forever.
1: Uh, Picard wonders out loud when they're just lying there. As like, I wonder which one was first. And Lore wakes up and goes like, I am Lore. Data was made first. He was imperfect. And they made me to replace him. Ha ha. Oh,
0: well, OK. Uh, welcome to uh, the future or something.
1: This uh, really kind of hits Picard as suspicious overall. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, he uh has a talk with Data to confirm his loyalty to Starfleet and not Lore because Data doesn't have emotional ties to his technically brother because of the not emotion thing. He's like, well, I took an oath to Starfleet, so, you yeah.
0: know, so I'm going to follow that. And uh well, I guess, you know, maybe he's sort of asking because, you know, maybe Data was programmed to like have a natural affinity for, quote, familiar connect- familial connections.
1: Possibly, um, yeah.
0: But also, at the same time, that if he did, he could just lie about it at this point.
1: <laughs> well, I do like the thing that like Data is constantly shown to be an intensely moral being, mm-hmm. even though his morality is not based upon emotions and empathy the way that we consider most of human morality to be so. Yeah. He's, just, he's just like, well, this thing is right. This is wrong. I took an oath. I'm going to follow my orders like I said I was going to. He figured out his own reasons for, for having his own kind of morality.
0: You know, he has effectively a special code for it. Are, are you getting my pun? Yes. Yes. I get okay, the Ha ha. Ha
1: ha ha. Ha ha ha. So on the bridge, Laura's being given an overview of how navigation works. Apparently when they say mark, they're delineating degrees on a circle. Oh, so they have oh. one horizontal circle, and then they say mark, and they have a vertical circle, and that lets them plot a course in three dimensions.
0: Cool. Uh, well, yeah, I, you know, that is kind of you know, a way to sort of uh, you know, sketch out vectors in three dimensions. Uh, you just need your, uh, you know, your your amplitude for your vector at that point, which I guess is the warp factor, and, uh, and uh, something about triangles at this point, right?
1: Yes, Riker tricks him into revealing that he knows math.
0: Dun, dun, dun. He has basic high school geometry programmed in naturally.
1: Yeah, he knows the hypotenuse. <laughs> he has a very creepy exchange later with Data about pleasing humans. Like, oh, cool. Lorth is <laughs> pouring on the being creepy. <laughs> well, Riker tricked you. It's like, yeah, he's too smart, but I please people. It's fine. You please people too, even though you don't know it.
0: It's something built into us. Um, I'm trying to maybe subtly argue and. Yeah, maybe we should be, you know, teaming up uh, and uh, I'll come up with the plans here and uh, you just follow along, right?
1: Well, they have a <laughs> bit of a discussion about Soong, how he was like, oh, he was he was all shamed and whatever for failing, but eventually he did create the two android brothers and proved his, all of his theories to be correct. Oh, uh, hmm. Data does see through Lore's assertion that he was created to replace Data, and Lore confirms that yeah, he was constructed first and lived with the colonists for a while. But he made the colonists too uncomfortable, so soon made Data as a more pliable android. He's throwing all these like, oh, you were made to be subservient to the humans. Things around.
0: Well, uh, you know, Lore seems to have a little bit of a uh, chip on his shoulder about being kind of awesome, and so he's like, yeah, I'm awesome, but you know, people didn't like that, so. You know, uh, I'm that's the best. why you exist. Yeah, I'm not why...
1: unstable. You're unstable. Yeah,
0: so you know you're 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 lesser model intentionally. Don't worry about it.
1: Laura uses data's terminal to learn about the ship and humans and everything. Th- reports everything that he knows about the colony, including how it was destroyed.
0: Hmm. Well, uh, now we know what happened. Uh, some space thing came in and killed everybody.
1: Yeah, the take Lore's information and the children drawings they found and reconstruct an image of a crystal life form. It's a massive space-dwelling thing capable of just stripping life from an entire planet.
0: Yeah, I actually kind of like uh, this uh, incarnation of crystalline life forms. Uh, to the, uh, you know, I like it better than the ones that show up in Stellaris. They're not nearly as interesting looking.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stellaris is not a... I don't know. It's got some weird things there. It's not very... I mean, it's very pulpy, so I get that. quite probably so lore and data survived because lore was disassembled and data was inactive which brings up some questions (laughs) But yeah so he would have been counted as a life form had he been active even though he's not a biological life form so what is this thing eating
0: yeah it's it's, maybe it eats things that move (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah So now they're the only two members of the colony that are left.
0: Hmm. Well, uh, unless somebody managed to get off the colony secretly before everything is destroyed, of course. But, you know, but uh, there's no sign of that. So, you know, they're the last ones left.
1: We now reveal that uh, Data's kind of been having Lore followed. And lore has been busy. He's been running around the ship grabbing tools and other stuff. But... Uh, mm-hmm. It's not that, it's a little suspicious, but it's not that suspicious because it's stuff that was kind of used in their construction. It's not anything weirder than like a human grabbing a band aid.
0: Mm hmm. Oh, you know, though I guess when it comes to androids, you know, there's maybe a question about healing factors and lack thereof. Yeah. So it'd be more like, I don't know, filling a cavity, except on your skin.
1: But there's also (laughs) some stuff like that. In this case, he mentions that it's, you know, not dangerous, but if it's like android stuff it's like oh he grabbed a nuclear power generator it's like oh it's just like a heart transplant it's fine don't worry <laughs> about
0: it what about this uh d- dimensional fissure d- generator oh uh, yeah that's a uh, part of our uh processing uh, uh materials you know we could eat things but you know we don't really have a full digestive system <laughs> so we <laughs> have to have some place for it to go <laughs> got to go somewhere
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god that was in um caves of steel the Asimov book <laughs> He has a humanoid android who eats and then later pulls out his stomach and like hands it to the guy It's like all the food is fine. You want it? <laughs> it's like um, I'll <laughs> pass <laughs> mm-hmm. So back in Data's quarters, Lars poured champagne. He's added a chemical to one. It gives it to Data be like we have to do human rituals because you know, we're celebrating that I'm here and the brothers are reunited But. <laughs> no, uh,
0: Well, cool, but uh, Data, you know, you should have been here just a few seconds earlier, then you could have seen them uh, palm that capsule.
1: Yeah. Data (laughs) drinks his champagne and immediately collapses, because he can't handle his liquor.
0: (laughs) Dang it, Data, drunk again.
1: Lore toasts to the crystalline entity, who he intentionally led to the colony, and soon he'll have them eat the ship.
0: Dun-dun-dun! I think, think this Lore guy might be a bad guy.
1: Yeah, Lore's motivations are a bit wonky. They they don't really do his motivations well. It's just like I'm the bad guy. Ha I'm gonna kill everyone.
0: Yeah, there was kind of a conversation, uh, you know, between uh, them that, whereas like Laura's like hinting at like, what if you could have the memories of like everybody, like millions of people? And it's like, all right, this seems like an interesting thread. Is this gonna go anywhere? No. Okay. Nope. Maybe it was intentionally left like that, or maybe it was hinting that he could do something with crystalline entity to like download the memories of people that it ate maybe. But
1: they're not really, (laughs) I don't know. They aren't really like that. They don't ever mention it. Yeah. Never comes (laughs) up again.
0: Yes. So it's just sort of like, well, I guess this is just his motivation now. Okay.
1: (laughs) So Lore takes data's uniform, which because they look identical is all he needs to impersonate him. He contacts the crystalline entity. He also claims that data is lore and he was attacked Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now everyone's like, ha, deactivated lore. He's on the ground here. It's fine. He yeah, even goes right. so far as to remove his own Twitch with a something tool and then give one to Data. Like, so you could have changed this Twitch thing at any time. The Twitch thing stops eventually anyway because it was dumb. Yes. <laughs> it's
0: like, well, I guess that was like one of the tools I was grabbing. You just didn't. Do it before contacting the crystalline entity because reasons.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> On the bridge, they detect an incoming something or other. It's the a crystal bogey. entity. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're still using bogey. It's fun. <laughs> so it's the thing that destroyed the colony. And they're like, um, dang. <laughs> Should we run for a bit? Uh, let's run
0: for a little bit, then we'll cut commercial and be stopped.
1: Picard wants data. To go interrogate Lore and learn how to communicate with the thing. Wesley sees through Lore's disguise immediately because it's not mm-hmm. hard. Yeah.
0: <laughs> He's acting all weird.
1: <laughs> he tries to warn everyone, but is like completely and solidly ignored.
0: And uh, was this about the point we got that uh, famous line?
1: Yes, this is the Shut Up Wesley meme.
0: Yes. And uh, it's like everyone's like trying to shout him down. He's like, "Come on, guys! It's obvious. I'm. I, I know I've been kind of poorly written to be, you know, the, the super character uh, and all that. But come on, guys! This is like so so obvious. All of you should be noticing, and not just yeah. Me.
1: This should be you guys know data. Like this is one of the only times in the entire series where they don't notice something is wrong with a character. Yes. Every other time, every time somebody's been alien taken over, somebody of incursion, every time anything happens, be like Captain's acting a little weird. <laughs> this is like Data. Data's fine, right? He's uh, he's he, it does he's being strange. He's using contractions. He's just just you know he's doing data stuff.
0: Yeah, this is fine. You know, robots are weird. He's weird. It's fine. <laughs> though though maybe this implies that everyone else on the crew has also been replaced by duplicates. Except That's Wesley. True.
1: They're all androids. <laughs> so, Laura goes to Data's quarters to interrogate Laura. He turns Data on and off repeatedly, pretending that he's like detected the people mm-hmm. here and claims they have to leave so that he can, you know, be alone and, and do the thing. And then as soon as they leave, he just kicks Data repeatedly in the head because he's a sadistic little prick.
0: Yeah. Here, Data, you're going to have a little piece of your face hugging off now. ma.
1: Back on the bridge, the crystallinity has begun sending beams into the ship. The deflector is uh, holding it off fine. And before they return fire, Lore comes back. Is like, oh, I can communicate with it now. It's fine. I'll tell it to back off.
0: Oh, well, thank you, Data. Um, don't do anything creepy when you do so, <laughs> but, uh, you know,
1: go ahead. Lore suggests that they need to show force. So, what they should do is a plan that everyone th- seems to get behind for some reason. <laughs> what they should do is replicate a tree right we're going to replicate yeah. a tree <laughs> we're going to beam it out next to the entity and we're going to blow up the tree
0: and that that'll show that we're uh, willing to take life no and like so aha, better,
1: see we're serious we blew up its space tree
0: <laughs> so you so you better take us seriously or you're next yeah
1: we're going to replicate a whale and a pot of geraniums <laughs>
0: can hang out with this tree, and then we're going to blow them all up <laughs> before they fall into a planet somewhere. You know, a lost planet.
1: Anyway. <laughs> Seems like a strange way to go to me, but Picard's like, yeah, that's a great plan. Go replicate a tree, Data.
0: <laughs> Maybe Picard just hates trees. <laughs>
1: that's why they're in space. <laughs> so Laura heads down to the cargo bay to carry out this plan, because they have the big industrial-sized transporter in the cargo bay. Mm-hmm. Um, Despite seeming to now trust Lore, Picard has Worf lead a security team after him, just just in case. Yeah. Which also then leads to Worf being trapped on the turbo lift and being beaten up by Lore.
0: Lore, what, why are you beating up Worf? He's he's gonna lose all his hit points and faster than you could. Okay, he's out. Never mind.
1: Lore, this is just the continuation of the everyone has to beat up Worf to show the situation is serious thing.
0: mm Hmm. Now uh, this might be one of the more, I guess, er examples. Uh, yeah. since, you know, first season and all that. Yeah. I haven't mean had at this point
1: many... Worf is basically the reusable red shirt. Yes. <laughs> They've decided to recycle their red shirts.
0: <laughs> He's a red shirt who has character development. We haven't had that since that uh, cloud episode, which also has some weird qu- you know things in line with this one. Huh.
1: So Wesley convinces Dr. Crusher to go check on data because he doesn't trust what's happening. Yes. They find Data and turn him back on. Uh, Data decides to take everybody to the cargo bay to stop Lore and whatever the frick he's planning.
0: And uh, the security team that uh, you know just saw Worf get kidnapped is like, we're just going to stand by the terrible lift until it is picks, opens up to pick well, us up again. This elevator's taking a long time. Yeah. I wonder <laughs> if our
1: commander is knocked out in there. <laughs> so Data Crusher and Wesley enter the cargo bay where lore is talking to the crystal entity and is about to lower the shields to let the entity take over the ship essentially it eat everyone data sneaks up behind lore but he's um, grabs a phaser and threatens wesley so everyone has to stop dang it wesley he tells dr crusher to leave you know go along but because um he's kind of horrible he like shoots at her on her way out
0: Yeah, but thankfully, uh, Dr. Crush has a lot more hit points than Worf at this point in time.
1: This lets Data grab the phaser, and they kind of have a scuffle for the thing.
0: Yeah, well, uh, uh, Brett and Spider faces off against a stunt double, uh, so they're both going to be fine.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's still done well. It's not like the thing where where Shatner suddenly becomes twice as big and has different hair.
0: Yes. (laughs) you know meanwhile a different uh, set uh you know that's exact duplicate two uh, people dress the same fight
1: <laughs> no. yeah it's probably just one of these things where you're not meant to be looking at this on a modern tv where you can see detail
0: but you know overall as far as uh, fights go it's pretty good
1: so while data and lore are tussling uh he tells wesley to go operate the transporter data throws lore onto the pad and wesley beams him into space or maybe into
0: space it maybe into nothing. We don't know.
1: Yeah. The rest (laughs) of the crew arrive just after this. Um, They send Dr. Crusher to sick bay, Wesley to the bridge for an apology and Laura is gone. And the crystalline entity just leaves.
0: It's like, Oh, I'm not going to get through the shield today. Uh,
1: Laters losers. And now they're on to their next assignment.
0: Yes. Which is apparently a uh, computer refit. And uh, that will for sure happen next episode
1: yep it's all fine
0: (laughs) so uh data lore uh yeah i tend to enjoy it um but again it's not super exceptional as far as you know actual what's going on here
1: yeah it's it's fun like the the plot wraps up immediately it's kind of uh strange indeed (laughs) It, it doesn't work out super well i I do feel like it's one of the it's another one of those like the the episode is only there to introduce this character, right? That's the only reason this episode exists, is to introduce lore.
0: Indeed, yeah. You know, there's no real moments afterward where they sort of reflect on, you know, uh Data, maybe maybe it's good that you're don't have any more siblings out there, hopefully. Cause, you know, this one was kind of a kind of a dick. So uh I guess watch out for that in the future.
1: Yeah. Let's be careful about any more of your brothers who might happen to show up and ruin franchises.
0: Yes. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, you know, uh, or, you know, it's maybe a reflection on, you know, not all androids encounter are going to have necessarily the same uh, code of ethics that data has. That, you know, this is something that, you know, we could just sort of assume that they all have, even if they are made by the same person. That perhaps, you you know, this is something that we need to sort of you know, investigate when we counter them and really kind of get to know them before we can say, you know, if they're, you know, going to be on the level or not.
1: One of the kind of particular problems that I have with this episode in the way that it does handle something like lore is it really undercharacterizes him in a weird way because he could have some very interesting motivations that if you think about it as like lore as sort of the prototype data Mm -hmm. like he was he made a prosatonic brain it didn't work out right and then he had to turn him off and then create a new version that gets rid of whatever instabilities that lores has which they only sort of go into like it's pretty obvious through the character he is not working properly he is evil. Mm-hmm. He's got something wrong with him. They don't really go into it. But there's a very intrinsic ethical conundrum happening here because you are trying to create an artificial life form. But as with any sort of um, you know, technological progress, you're going to have to go through a prototyping stage and an experimental stage and some trial and error in order to get stuff working correctly. Indeed. Which really gets you into an ethical conundrum when you are the thing that you're experimenting with is a sentient being. Indeed, the, you created lore. He then did not function correctly, so you had to deactivate him indefinitely in order to create the next version. Yeah,
0: you know, effectively uh, killing him, and as far as your uh, your intentions there.
1: And as far as that goes for, like, you know, an evil character motivation, that's that's like the key. That is the key to a good villain antagonist, is you should be able to look at the character's motivation and understand their point of view enough that you're like, you know what, this this may feel like an overreaction, but I really understand how they got there. And this could be perfect, because what if you were the prototype that you were created, then everyone goes, you're made incorrectly and we have to kill you.
0: Uh, Could you not? Uh, I could, you know, just avoid you. I could go somewhere else. Um, Please don't deactivate me. I can be friendly.
1: Like, they don't go into it in the story itself, but from his point of view, a lot of this Stuff makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. He was created into su- in such a way that is like ethics don't work properly. There's something not right with the way that his brain is functioning. Like he has some sort of mental problem as we would define it in humans, but from his point of view, he's been he's been created. He's like perfect. He's stronger than other people. He has this whole he has all this stuff going that makes him essentially superior to humanity from his point of view they're just getting rid of him because of that possibly so it makes sense that he has no love for humanity and is allying with whatever he's capable of doing in order to get rid of them and save himself
0: yeah you know these humans are dangerous and they you know are no match for me i had just have to be a little careful until i get them all uh done away with And then, you know, once I'm secured in my position, then I can think about maybe doing other things. But, you know, for the time being, uh, kill all humans.
1: So you aren't exploring the actual ethics that come up with creating sentient artificial life forms. Something that somehow Star Trek never particularly does. I guess it just raises too many ethical questions that they don't want to fully explore. They never go into the ethics of, but we're creating artificial life.
0: I guess the uh, closest we get to is actually uh, when Data builds LOL, uh where Picard's like, you know, this is, you know, you should have consulted me. There's, there's some ethical ramifications here, and Data's like, you, you know, we, we I'm doing a parent thing. I have thought about this, and you know, no one else consults with you about making a child, and Picard's like, oh, well, okay then. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but that only goes into the ethical ramifications of artificial life reproducing itself indeed not not you doing as a completely different kind of life form creating artificial life especially as we see with you know like in the stupid movie but you know you have even four in the late mo- in the later movies where he doesn't even function as highly he's like a complete prototype he's not even made to stay alive yep it's
0: like i'm barely functional and uh, don't really know what's going on most of the time but that's okay i'm happy
1: yeah this gets into a lot of ethical problems Mm -hmm. that they don't want to talk about
0: (laughs) i i guess uh that's kind of why we can be here though we can talk about these things so uh so gepwin what do you think the ethics are as far as uh, this goes uh is this something that we should have the the right to do to create a new you know type of life form out of you know you know the materials before us and uh and then be able to play God in terms of you know you're going to live or you're going to die
1: i mean you do you just don't you don't get that far in the thing should you have the right to create life um probably like it doesn't like you get into some weird like god shit and whatever like the creation to me is not the inherent problem it's the what do you do with it after the fact indeed which we haven't come up with any kind of plans for and you would need some very very strict ethical guidelines on something like this if you are setting out with the if you're setting out with the explicit intention to create a sentient being then you need to treat that like it's going to have all of the rights of any other sentient being which isn't good now but
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> it could be better in the future you never know
1: yeah but you run into a lot of problems with that because you you have this debate of like if you know that a child is going to be born with certain impairments or disabilities do you let that child be born or not where it's what are the, implica- what are the implications of that etc cetera, etc cetera. But you run into a very different type of problem. You could be kind of mistakenly overlapping those two, but there's a big difference between this entity would just exist biologically and through a random chance of it being born, something has happened and you have to decide how to treat that. Versus I am setting out to make something and I through poor planning or whatever made it incorrectly and now you have to figure out what to do with that because you need to be a lot more careful if you're making something like that now the way that we're working on this sort of stuff now seems like it's going to be more of an emergent situation this isn't how we thought of it back then people thought that you would just set out to make a artificially intelligent thing and make it now we're more on the an artificially intelligent thing would probably slowly evolve over time as it picks up more and more stuff like these these learning ai algorithms
0: yeah so you know, we have this uh, you know way for computers to take in information and adjust a basically a, a, a set of parameters that then you know learn how to then produce outputs from that um but you know keep doing that enough put enough of those sort of systems together and who knows what it might actually come up with in the end
1: but i do think the thing that people Never, People never want to talk about the rights of the AI itself, or mm-hmm. whether or not you can create one that wouldn't be in pain, or what you do with it when it's here. You know, there's there's so much stuff in there, and it all gets sidetracked by freaking Elon Musk going on the news and going, we have to be careful because sci-fi tells us the AI will rebel and try to kill us all.
0: Well, uh, that's a very simple view, Elon, here, but you know maybe we should be actually treating this like a a serious problem in terms of thought here, as opposed to just throwing our hands up and panicking constantly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But you know, we aren't going to because people misunderstand how to, how to read science fiction.
0: I guess, um, from my um, own recent experience in reading science fiction, uh, there is, you know, uh, the, I guess the Elon, uh, version of the, uh, ethical outcome uh you know of you know the 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 ethical way to build all of this is to have a certain type of limit in terms of uh ai capabilities you know a la uh what is sort of presented in uh, neuromancer since i read that a couple months ago um where there is a sort of a I guess, a bureau or agency that's sort of international that's able to go out into the world and track down AIs that don't have these limitations and keep an eye on the ones that do. Uh, And overall, also kind of keep an eye on ones that try to break their limitations. Uh, And so there's a couple plot points where these uh, folks show up to basically try to stop the plot of the computer that's sort of manipulating all the events of the story Uh, you know, and well, long story short, they're generally unsuccessful in that, uh, sometimes to deadly results. But, uh, you know, so that would be sort of, I guess, his most lenient version of that. While, you know, alternatives would be maybe, maybe we should treat them as people, uh, you know, give them full rights. And it's like, okay, you now exist here. Uh, you know, you might be on a computer system, but we're going to do our best not to, you know, accidentally, you know, pull your plug here. Um, but, you know, you also need a job, I guess, because, you know, that's the sort of society we have here. So, uh, sorry about that. That sucks. <laughs> um, there's also maybe a different option where we basically design a new set of uh, specialized ethics for AI's uh and you know sort of i mean, maybe you know dependent on what sort of i guess vessel they're being uh existing in you know androids versus mainframe computers that sort of thing where you can have uh you know a a a thing that works well with how they have emerged or are built uh that is you know not going to hurt people of course but also is fair Uh, both to and in the view of the AI they are interacting with. Uh, But that would sort of also require us to already have the AI in existence in order to try to figure this out. So basically to negotiate and figure out what they think is fair.
1: I do think that it's interesting that as far as sci-fi goes, this is the only place that you can even talk about this. And this is where people get into this. Oh my God, the AI rebellion is coming. Like, this has been solved in science fiction for so long. Yep. (laughs) Like, you either have something where you just treat it like a person. I don't know why people have this idea that artificial intelligence would be so much more intrinsically powerful than any other random person. Like, you can govern them by the same laws as any other sentient person, essentially. Or (laughs) you just don't make a true AI in the first place like Asimov had with robots back when he was inventing the idea
0: (laughs) well maybe uh yeah the people have just uh, seen too many old glory robot insurance ads (laughs) (laughs) robots are strong and their metal hands are cold
1: (laughs) i was saying it's interesting because like i keep having this discussion with people about this like there's this i silly idea like this like it's an old sci-fi idea but it's one that people really catch on to that like because people misunderstand that robots in science fiction are a representation of the working class the general working class Mm -hmm. people people misunderstand the you mistreated the robot and they rebelled plot line as more of a warning (laughs) about mistreating Your working class and that leading to discontent and rebellion. And instead, people say, like, well, people will just intrinsically be mean to machines because we'll see them as subhuman, etc., etc. But there's all these, like, bots. Like, I spent a lot of time, like, reading stuff on Tumblr. And one of my friends there follows a bot that I'm not going to be able to remember the name of because it's a really long blog name and then autoresponder. But the bot's (laughs) name itself is Frank. Um, That at some point when this bot was originally made, people asked what their name was, and they said Frank. And um, this is not a, like, super good AI. It responds well. It's been learning, like, Tumblr posts for long enough that sometimes it's indistinguishable from other Tumblr posts. But a lot of those (laughs) are indistinguishable from bots. So, you know. (laughs) Or each other. Or, you know. Make of that what you will. But the point that, that keeps being made here is, every now and then, this bot, part of how this autoresponder bot functions is it has a randomized mood every day. And Ooh. it will post a little update. It's like, here is my mood graph for the day. And when its mood is really far down, people will write to it be like, I'm sorry, you're having a bad day. <laughs> and like, this is the way that people are treating a like not even particularly good autoresponder AI. Like people yeah. <laughs> empathize with things like this is not like until you get you recreate the, our like horrible class dynamics, which is what they're warning about in science fiction.
0: I, I guess in some ways it's like you found yourself with a communal pet dog, but this time the, pet, the, the dog can uh, type out messages to you.
1: Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Like people tend to default to treating everything around them nicely, including inanimate objects. The idea that you would just immediately treat an AI, an artificial being, horribly is just a recreation of our current class dynamics, which is what those stories are trying to warn us about. I guess Indeed. you can see how um, hypercapitalists would, in fact, have a vested interest in making you think that those stories are about nothing but warning you about the inevitable AI uprising.
0: You know, hypercapitalists like uh, Elon Musk. Oddly enough, we
1: yeah, what do you know?
0: <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> so, uh, maybe we shouldn't trust the hyper and you know, you know, uh, pay attention to our robot friends more.
1: Yeah, that could be an interesting idea, but somehow we keep n- not. I'm sh- like, if we if this episode gets any traction, you know how much Elon Musk fanboy hate we're gonna get from this discussion. Oh, like,
0: it's kind of well, <laughs> that's 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 the thing, though. Uh, you know, you know, hate, uh, posting and viewing and listening. It might get us in the top 100 of something, you know. Yeah,
1: come for me, Elon fanboys. <laughs> Don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, it's sort of like the the inverse of you know. Uh, there's no no such thing as bad publicity. It's like there's there's no such thing as bad viewership.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as a bad click. <laughs> YouTube wants that sweet, sweet controversy,
0: <laughs> and we're we're doing one of the low-hanging fruit as far as controversies
1: go. <laughs> yep, that's fine. We're you know we're almost an hour into the episode. Everyone yeah. clicked <laughs> off twenty minutes ago.
0: Yeah, well, it, that's that's their fault. Then <laughs> they don't know what's going on now.
1: <laughs> anyway, yeah, I I I've, I've stretched this uh, the discussion of this episode as far as I can go, which is why we're getting all meta now. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, I guess, uh, you know, other things I was sort of thinking about, uh, when I was watching this episode is the, the mention of ambition, actually, mm-hmm. that, you know, you know, so data, he has his ethical programming. We get more details about what that's all about later, but you know, Lore either doesn't have that or he has one, but it's being override, uh, overridden by, uh, his emotional sort of stuff there. Um. Uh, and, uh, you know, part of the things he explicitly mentions in this episode is having ambition. Now, you know, we find out later in the series, you know, just how sort of ambitious, uh, you know, the, you know, the creator, uh, you know, of, of, uh, both data and Laura, uh, uh, Dr. Soong actually, uh, you know, is, and he's you know, like, this is thought not to be possible yet. I did it and I'm going to be it. perfected. It's going to be great. And data, I'm going to give you this cool stuff and Laura. You're all right, but we'll talk later. And all this other cool stuff is going to go on. And also I made some other androids, but we're not going to talk about those until much later. Anyway, <laughs> but he's, you know, someone who keeps trying to, you know, you know, go, you know, uh, to make something way better, more more advanced, more, you know, complex, more more perfect, you could say. And Lore apparently has that particular same ambition as him but how it's being sort of manifest is uh, maybe a little bit more uh, nefarious. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, also given, you know, sort of how he's been treated, it's like, okay, so, you know, obviously I'm physically better. I'm smarter than all these people around me. And, you know, you know, and I have good reason to, you know, hate them and all that because, you know, the whole being effectively killed thing. Um, So Maybe after I get this uh, ship under my control, you know, what else would he sort of get up to? It's not really explored here, but in terms of uh, what kind of happens later, he definitely tries to, you know, reach for the stars, you know, in effect. Uh, You know, doing that whole, you know, ally with some Borg and all that sort of stuff in a a much, much later episode. Uh, And so it's sort of a a bit of a, a character arc going from, you know, petty revenge to trying to, you know, basically outdo his dad in terms of making artificial life, and he doesn't quite make it in the end. And, uh, you know, so his ambition might be able to manipulate him internally to get around any sort of pesky ethics, uh, you know, to basically put something more important uh, in his priority list than the lives of those around him, but it doesn't end up serving him well in the end either. So, you know. Maybe that's something to remember if you're getting a little ambitious about things.
1: Well, I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding in things that, like, they, they talk about a lot of the stuff with lore as sort of an emotional failing, but um, if you're just dealing with something like that, like, ambition is a weird thing. You could consider it to be an emotion in some ways, but it can be emotionally driven. But obviously, Data is also ambitious. He's done a lot of very difficult, hard things. Indeed. Like, he joined Starfleet, he's gotten a lot of honors, he has a very difficult career Mm -hmm. that he's working through. The main difference that you have when you're comparing data and lore, which is kind of a problem that they, of course, don't look into or address, data exemplifies the play by the rules attitude, which we are predisposed to respect in our society, which in some ways makes sense. Like he is going through things the same way that any human would which he values as an exercise Mm -hmm. but technically we also aren't really looking at why like this is not a human he has completely different limitations and abilities and um everything to a human the fact that we are requiring him to do everything exactly the same way that a human would is on the face of it somewhat ridiculous. But we are meant (laughs) to respect it to the point that his point of view of a we have to just do things the human way because that's what humans do is juxtaposed with Lore's inherently evil in the context of this episode idea of I am different from people, and so I should be able to do things differently than people want me to do them. Mm-hmm. If, so, in the episode, that's shown as being inherently bad because of the way that he allies himself with a murderous creature. But if you actually look at it, the fact that we're supposed to take Data's point of view of even like, I'm going to temper my ambitions by doing things the slow human way is a little silly to just take on it as face value. Now you could could also explore it more, which they tend to with data on a, you know, I'm doing it more as an exercise. I value this as something to do. I, in fact, from a human point of view, have almost unlimited time with which to do this slowly. So just as a way to understand humans better, I'm going to do things their slow human way but that's not really a juxtaposition of that's not presented as like a juxtaposition of um approaches like data values understanding people to the point that he's willing to put himself through extra time and effort in order to do so and lore is trying to do things in a way that makes more sense for him as an artificial being we're presented to it as data plays by the rules data is an assimilationist android yeah (laughs) he wants to be human. He wants to do things the human way. He doesn't want to fundamentally interfere with the way humans think in a society. And Lore is a non-assimilationist android, which is presented as so inherently bad we don't even get it as a point of view to examine.
0: Mm -hmm. Sort of, uh, you know, here's Lore. He's, you know, doing the evils and uh, don't think about it too much.
1: Which in fact is something that they do later. They continue this thread all the way through Star Trek Picard because the first season of Star Trek Picard is all about um, artificial life and a very bad plot line about artificial life gods who have decided to just kill organic beings in order to protect artificial beings. It's weirdly um, Mass Effect in a way.
0: (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) I've not played Mass Effect, but I know enough about what's going on there.
1: (laughs) But um, even in that, the, assimilationist androids are shown as fine. The problem is that you just don't want them to be able to assimilate because you're bigoted. Mm -hmm. But non-assimilation is not even is not presented as an as a viable option.
0: I would actually really like to see a, a story where there's some very strange, unusual androids that or you know other artificial life like that that you know, has a time where they're like, oh, we're kind of coexisting with humans, but they're like, you know, we kind of got a completely different way of being. So we're not going to like try to murder you. But we kind of got to live our own sort of best life over here. So uh, if you want to come hang out fine, but you know, we're going to do a lot of weird stuff here. So, mm-hmm. so, so don't, don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> this is one of the things where this um, type of storyline really fails in what it's doing. Like it it doesn't fail in what it's trying to do because what it's trying to do is to show um minority assimilation as the default that mm-hmm. you should aspire to. But it fails in exploring anything because it is so invested in minority assimilation as the default way of doing things that the way that these stories are using androids as a stand-in for several kinds of minority at once honestly in most of these storylines the way that it doesn't explore its assimilationist views like speaks volumes especially for of course a tv show made in the 80s is going to be very assimilationist by which i mean (laughs) like i've used this term a lot but this is by with this i mean a minority group is fine as long as you fundamentally don't want to upset the status quo
0: Yeah, everyone's happy now. Everyone's working together. It's all great now. So, uh, you know, don't complain.
1: You know, we're willing to accept gay people who want to get married in a nuclear family unit and live in a way that's essentially indistinguishable from how we believe that straight people should live. But Mm -hmm. we're way less willing to accept a gay person who wants to live in a polyamorous open relationship or any other number of things that aren't the monogamous family unit All or right. this is one of the ways that people keep complaining about pride and you know family friendliness at pride and things it's like you should not fundamentally want to disrupt the status quo you should want to be your init your goal is to be accepted as a member of the status quo not to disrupt it in any way that's what i mean when i keep saying an assimilationist
0: yes <laughs> so uh you know don't you dare you know have two boyfriends at the same time or you know you know you know enjoy kind of open relationships or anything like that because you know that that confuses our young people and that's that's what we're going to try to hide behind to disguise our discomfort here yeah Yeah,
1: it's the the same sort of thing that um conservatives and more right-leaning people will talk about with immigration like they'll say that they agree with immigration it is fine as long as someone who immigrates wants to completely adopt american culture
0: (laughs) for whatever that is
1: (laughs) as long as you want to abandon your own culture and not bring any of it into America. You want to, like, abandon your original language, learn English, essentially become indistinguishable from any other native-born American.
0: Dutch immigrants who have uh, set up in uh, Pella, Iowa, now have to give up, uh, you know, tulip festivals because of this.
1: Yeah. Well, even in (laughs) Iowa, like, I was reading this book a while ago, um, Bill Bryson's... um, Thunderbolt Kid, I think it was. It's a memoir of him growing up in Iowa. And he yeah. um, has several stories about how there used to be towns in Iowa where people just spoke German yeah, and Dutch. No one in the town spoke English the entire place. You know, there's
0: a, a few spots that are still kind of like that, but a little bit more English spoken. Just, you know, German's also kind of a second language.
1: So we have things like that. We are obviously... Um, as a society, more inclined to accept that for people that we would view culturally as white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but over- Weird that, huh? <laughs> yeah. But overall, we tend to want this sort of assimilationist mindset, which I do feel like is something that this episode is saying. Data is often held up as an assimilationist ideal because he wants to emulate us. His entire character is about emulating us as humans and more or less abandoning his own identity as an artificial being.
0: Indeed. Well, I guess uh, we could also compare him to Odo, who kind of assimilates at times, but kind of at other times is like, you know, I'm going to kind of do my own thing.
1: Odo's character arc is essentially a an individual being torn between an assimilationist mindset because mm-hmm. he is the only one of his kind around so assimilating to a certain extent is what he needs to do in order to live and survive in the society in which he finds himself and then later that coming at odds with him wanting to explore and accept his own cultural values which are fundamentally unassimilationist he cannot exist as a shape-shifting being in a non-shaft shifting society it fundamentally doesn't work he cannot have his own culture and assimilate
0: yeah so there's things quite at odds there and uh yeah you know, he has to make some choices along the line but which we can is, get to that later
1: <laughs> that's one of the interesting things in deep space 9 which also goes somewhat unexplored it's under the radar i think i would like deep space 9 better if it actually looked at those concepts more in depth than what it does <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Just you know, most of what I remember from that era of Deep Space Nine is justifying war crimes.
0: Yeah, well you know, in the pale moonlight is kind of its own special thing, I, I mm. guess, there in terms <laughs> of what's going on. Um well, there were you know, there was some up g- good stuff though, uh, about Odo and uh his being torn between two worlds there, especially in the later seasons. But anyway, um I think we've kind of rattled on enough here. Um but uh you know, simulationist versus non-assimilationist, you know, ethics of AI, uh, ambition isn't necessarily, you know, a terrible thing, uh, but, you know, just kind of know what you're doing with it, I guess. Um, robots are cool. Um, also, crystal space.
1: <laughs> Where'd it come from? robots are cool yeah where did this space where did these crystals come from (laughs)
0: yes uh but uh you know just sort of i i want to note that you know this is just another one of those weird space things that can kill entire worlds that just kind of out there that you know isn't a problem most of the time i guess
1: yeah we don't think about it it's just there yeah i don't know eldritch being fine another one tuesday
0: Yeah, maybe just wandered in from out of the galaxy like half the other ones did, so you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, There's weird lovecrafty things when you get into intergalactic space, apparently. <laughs> yes. Uh
0: touched a little bit on that uh in uh uh Discovery, uh where they just kinda went to the edge of the uh galaxy and things got weird, but yeah, even still it's sort of like yeah, you get even further you get all sorts of nonsense, you know? <laughs> mm mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Okay, we've, anywho. <laughs> yeah, rattled on for quite a while, so maybe it's time to wrap up with the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Woo!
0: Hey, everybody! I have replaced Izix here today. But I hope you are okay with that. Gapwin, are you okay with that?
1: I don't see anyone who's not Isaacs. You're, d- that you're is acting correct. exactly the same, and it's fine. Yes.
0: It's all good. So, we have some contestants, and they have collected points. We are going to then tally up these points and realize oh, we should be handing out some prizes because they have passed certain thresholds. That is a delight. The first of these is the Evil Twin Prize, which goes to Lore because he's evil. An exact duplicate of Data, except he has emotions and knows basic geometry. That cad. What does lore win, Gepwin?
1: Lore wins the beard because I know it's an old staple, but there's a reason that the goatee is the iconic evil twin fair and the random mouth twitch is not.
0: Hmm. I believe Data does have a beard scene at some point. That might be actually lore then. Excellent. We'll have to remember that for later. The second prize is the Shut Up Wesley prize, which goes to Picard, because though he says those words, he really should have been the one to shut up and listen to Wesley instead. What does Captain Picard win, Capwin?
1: Captain Picard wins everything that's coming to him. They all deserve to be eaten at that point. Like, not only did they not notice Data, but they yelled at the one guy who was trying to let them know. Like this is weirdly out of character for all of them, and I don't know what happens to the no disagreeing rule.
0: Well, maybe it's a situation where you cannot disagree on the bridge unless it's to disagree with Wesley because he's just a child. Ha ha ha! The final prize today is the Wharf Effect Prize, which goes to Wharf for demonstrating the Wharf Effect by being beaten up by Lore to show the situation is serious, and thus. The Wharf Effect is born. What does Worf and his effect win today, Gepwin?
1: Worf wins really good health insurance. He's gotten at least one thing broken in every episode.
0: Indeed. He seems to be in a lot of pain at the end of that fight there, and likely probably requires surgery. Thank you very much. That is all the prizes to hand out for today. I will now return to the storage compartment. Good day.
1: Thank you, definitely, Izix. I see nothing wrong here. And thank you all for joining us on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show!
0: I'm back from being unconscious. What happened?
1: I don't I don't know what you're talking about. You were here the whole time.
0: Oh, oh okay. Um, Shut up. Oh, all right. <laughs> so where was Troy this episode?
1: Yeah, this was another one of those um, Troy does not not exist episodes.
0: Yeah, I guess there wouldn't have been much for her to do other than basically look to Picard and say, you need to chill out, man. Yeah.
1: I mean, she would have made this episode very inconvenient. Yes, <laughs> because you're like Wesley's telling the truth.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, know, so, you know, he at least believes it to be the the truth here. So maybe we should, you know, do something about that.
1: Yeah, hmm. but for some reason, um, Maria Ceres was getting written out of the show at this point, even though she wasn't yeah. just wasn't being brought on for very many episodes for some reason.
0: Yeah, that's uh, it's rather frustrating because uh, you know she's a pretty good actress and. She uh, is.
1: Yeah, they never let her do anything. Exactly,
0: that's 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 the kind of the problem here. You know, I guess you know, you know people do have uh, some uh, complicated feelings about Picard, but I definitely like that they allowed her to have a uh, chance to sort of stretch her uh, acting legs there a bit.
1: Yeah, be an actual character for once. Yes,
0: exactly. Uh, and so uh, you know, you, you'll eventually get get your time, but uh, unfortunately, season one was not
1: it. Alas. Okay, next episode, next week. Um, It's not as bad as some of the other ones that have this distinction, but this is definitely another one of these episodes that everyone sort of quietly pretends didn't happen.
0: Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, that one. Uh, Moving on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And and they don't get a computer upgrade, despite the promises for it, uh, at least not in this next episode. Well, they were
1: on their way to get a computer upgrade, and then they had to deal with whatever the heck is happening here <laughs>
0: a uh a planet where uh there's open shirts for the men and the women also kind of wear you know sexy outfits except they're tall
1: yeah i mean living my bisexual fantasy planet but yeah. still <laughs> this is um this is one of those weird ones. It's the it's one of the only episodes that ever tries this and for good reason apparently. This is the we've shown up to a planet where the women are in charge. Wait,
0: what what's isn't
1: that also Beta Z? No one really goes into that much with Beta Z. <laughs> they just sort of passively talk about it.
0: Yeah, but- well you know, there's maybe something to explore sometimes, Star Trek guys. Come on. Yeah, we <laughs>
1: never really do much with Beta Z. It's just mm-hmm. there.
0: Yeah, it's it invaded once, but that's about it.
1: Yeah, it's apparently a, like, Federation member planet, but we don't know much about it beyond several characters come from there.
0: Mm-hmm. Fairly Earth-like, uh, human-looking people with psychic powers. Yep. Also a tradition, apparently, of having giant uh, head-hairdresses headpieces hats or something like that with animals in them but they decided to discontinue that in the ancient past the more you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) i just i do enjoy how star trek used to not have to explain anything (laughs) it was just there
0: versimilitude
1: (laughs) now they have to try to explain why picard has the wrong accent it's ridiculous ridiculous. things are complicated ruining (laughs) everything
0: just 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 deal with it, guys. Come on. <laughs> anyway, next time is uh is uh, something called Angel One.
1: Angel One, which is apparently the name of the planet, because you know, haha, it's ruled by women. So, no, yeah, most angels are not that. Yeah, for some angels reason.
0: are kind of uh you know, androgynous and we don't really got androgyny going on here.
1: Largely eye covered abominations with wings and things yes. generally. <laughs> you
0: know. Do not be afraid, Gepwin we're going to angel one
1: so yeah this is a (laughs) women-led society some men wind up on the planet and they are threatening their very way of life
0: oh no whatever shall we do
1: ah and then more men show up then riker sleeps with some people
0: yeah 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 usual stuff
1: yeah basically it's yeah it's fine
0: Also, apparently, they're pre-warp and have disintegrators.
1: Yeah, it doesn't make (laughs) sense, but... This is still before Star Trek had to make any sense. Once we get to season two, it has to make a little bit of sense, and then it keeps having to make more sense the further we go. But we're still in the, (laughs) none of this has to make any sense.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, someday we might have more uh, Star Trek that makes little sense, uh, but that's, uh, you know lower decks. Anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> One of the greatest modern Star Trek shows. <laughs> but anyway, next time we have sexy everyone. So, at least there's that.
0: Oh, yes. The most uh, alluring times.
1: Yeah, so you can enjoy you can enjoy that next week when we do Angel One.
0: <laughs> next time on Watchers of Tomorrow. Riker's chest hair. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more, and where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtubecom Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, doctor Izix, on youtube.com slash and Twitter at izixlp.com. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by D-R-K-R-N. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.